Oh, hey, we're live. Oh, we're live? Oh, my God. I wasn't even ready, dude. I've been trying to do my makeup for like 10 minutes. Oh, my God. Ah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Black Hills Information Security, talking about news. In this particular episode, we will be talking about authentication bypass vulnerabilities, suing your CISO, which is going to get you really excited, and then you're going to realize it's totally not you as an employee suing your boss, but something completely different. Um, we're going to talk about solar winds attacks and the Chinese, and then if we get to some other stories, we'll get to the other stories. But screw it. Let's talk about the cast of characters that we have joining us this week. Uh, we have Ryan the Shootist, who is always on with us and makes us look good. Um, we have Monopixel, who has entirely too many computers in his home. I found out that he needed to have a SIM, and apparently when he was programming his Roomba, that's what actually pushed him over the edge to start getting a full Elk stack in his home. We have Ralph, who's just mining cryptocurrency in the background, just, just doing that thing. Um, we have Ben, by the way, everybody. I'd like to introduce you to Ben, who is our new... Newest, well, we have two people that started today, Tim and Ben. Tim did not come on the show, but Ben is on. Ben, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, sir? Yeah, for sure. Um, thanks for having me. It's a little bit of a, a day one trial by fire, but I love it. Um, just embracing ambiguity. Uh, my name is Ben Burkhart. Um, I officially started today. I've been pen testing for four or five years. Um, I'm in Chicago. I'm one of those kind of more non-traditional background people who spent the last seven or eight years bartending before this and kind of found my way back into tech after tinkering with things for most of my life. So stoked to be here and stoked, stoked to talk about the news. All right. And we've got a special treat. Uh, we have Jeff McJunkin is present, who's got a DEF CON banner. And Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, but that DEF CON banner, was that the one that you won the Hacker Jeopardy and someone wrote a phallic symbol on your face? Yeah, I can't remember who <laughs> wrote that phallic symbol on my face, but... Uh, that wasn't me. I was just something. there. I've but, got uh, pictures of it, but I didn't do it. Just because I didn't help... Oh, wait, that makes me an accomplice. I'm just mm. as guilty as literally everyone <laughs> else there. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah Jeff Con is, is the real one from DEF CON 27. It makes for a fun backdrop. It is. It is a good one. Um, I've known Jeff for a really, really long time. He is one of the finest SANS instructors uh, you will ever get an opportunity to take a class from. So if you have a chance, please take a class from Jeff. And I believe he is the lead author of SANS's Metasploit class, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, that's right. SANS Security 580. Not why yeah. I'm here today, but uh, thanks for the shout out, John. Absolutely. <laughs> so do we want to jump right into the, to the stories, guys? Yeah, let's do it. So I, I want to jump into the authentication bypass vulnerability in Exchange. I know we've joked about this in the past, but it really does seem like Microsoft is doing their level best to get people to not use on-prem exchange anymore. I, you know, normally a company would be all excited or all like Twitter-pated about, oh my God, there's a vulnerability in one of our products. And I can just see Microsoft and all the Where people behind it basically saying, yeah, you know what, if you don't like these vulnerabilities, maybe you should migrate to the cloud. Are you, are, um, are you looking at the right day, John? Uh, September, that would not be the right day. See, I'm going <laughs> off of... To be fair, I don't think we covered that last week. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah, to okay. be fair, we didn't cover it last week, so let's go ahead and That's talk fine. about it. I'll okay. put the link in there. So I'm going to talk about it, but I wasn't here last week because I got on an airplane. God help me, airplanes again. Oh, um, but this, this authentication bypass vulnerability is like, like creepy, creepy easy pull off. Have you guys taken a look at it? 
Uh, I did take a look at it. I haven't actually done it. Yeah, it, it, this doesn't surprise me though. This is like exchange time, right? And they don't even care, like you were saying. A, yeah. a lot of people have moved off though. A lot of people have moved off the on-prem. I see it less and less. I, I can't even think of the last time we actually had a customer that was running on-prem um, exchange. So it, it's becoming, and, it, and the other thing that sucks is those types of individuals that are still running on-prem exchange are not going to be the people that listen to this show. Um, they're probably not going to be the people, even though I've I'm seen sure a few somewhere. in the wild and they've always been like really small businesses who didn't like it was set up for them and they don't even, it's the black box. They don't know what it does. It just sits in the corner. So uh, fun related. Thanks for bringing that one up. Um, if you ever had exchange since I think 2003 or so, uh, there are some schema changes that were really, really bad, uh, essentially allowing any user to create essentially any Active Directory object that's, that was labeled as a privilege escalation. But even if you don't have Exchange anymore, if that Active Directory ever had Exchange, uh, there's some special fixes for that one. So yes, the people who have migrated but haven't yet you know, purged their prior sins uh, still have some vulnerabilities there. I, I'm thinking about doing a web, I was going to do a webcast on the sand side of like, Microsoft, are, are you okay? <laughs> on-prem world between uh, exchange. Uh, let's talk about Prince Spooler and Print Nightmare and Serious Sam. Microsoft's had a bad time, and honestly, I don't think they've spent nearly as much attention on any of their on-prem technologies as anything software as a service. Anything Azure uh, gets loved, yeah. anything on-prem doesn't. And we have actually had customers that have been talking to Microsoft. And Microsoft has literally said, yeah, there's a lot of vulnerabilities in these things, but you, you went to the cloud, you wouldn't have that. Um, so it's just a, it's a weird You just have a monthly price. bill now, which is yeah. what small businesses see. They say, hey, but I don't have a monthly bill right now. And you're saying I would need to have a monthly bill. And yeah, what's the chances of getting hacked? You know, I've got a, I've got a firewall. <laughs> Okay, that, that gets into a longer conversation. That. No, I'm, I'm aware of, I'm aware of the fallacies You're in that right. statement, but I, mean, I think some are saying that. Like, not all of like them. It's like we're in the pen test community, and guys, seriously, how often is it that we're like, we just can't break in, folks. They, they got a firewall. Right. That's the firewall. <laughs> That's always the problem. got a firewall. On the other side, they're going to have AV. Too. You just know that that's going to be the case. And, and the re um, regardless of what Microsoft wants, the reality is that companies are not moving to cloud only, Azure AD, and no on-prem any yeah. anytime in the foreseeable future. No. You, you can dislike reality, but step one is to admit reality that the on-prem world is here to stay, and we have to kind of meet our clients where they are secure them where they are. That doesn't mean ignoring on-prem entirely. <clears throat> but at any rate, I'm sure that everything is going to get better. I know Microsoft has had a ton of vulnerabilities over the past couple of months. I'm absolutely certain that things are going to get better for them. Let's go on to the next story. Uh, Microsoft warms a new zero-day vulnerability. God damn it! Okay. <laughs> um, uh, all right. So hunting down Windows users. Uh, this is from CyberWorks. Microsoft has released an emergency advisory on a new zero-day remote code execution vulnerability affecting the operating system, which Ben has taken advantage by hackers, usually using specially crafted documents. So has anyone actually like researched this? I, I, since I'm a week behind, I went and researched last week's show notes because they were in the link for today's meeting. Um, has anyone looked into this one much? 
Yeah, there's been a lot of chatter about uh, which indicators of compromise are reliable, whether or not you need to launch control.exe, all sorts of things like that. And as of now, we, we do have some uh, decent detectors for the most common proofs of concept, but uh, they don't seem to be reliable in the sense that an attacker can change a lot of those telltales. Uh, but don't never discount the partial solution. Uh, but yeah. if, we have a, some good detective controls for what's known to be out there now. Well, I like their uh, the recommendation is disabling ActiveX controls yeah. on systems. Yeah. Which All seriously, hail Internet Explorer. <laughs> Isn't is ActiveX just a gift that just keeps on giving? giving, uh, giving? Yeah. So. Yeah. So it, it, the other problem, too, is that, it, that you're going to break some stuff uh, compatibility-wise with other Microsoft products from older days, depending on what you're doing. So like, this isn't like a it – could, it could cause issues. But – God, I love Internet Explorer and ActiveX. It's just, yeah, yeah. On the offensive uh, side, on the defensive I, side, like ninety ninety five percent of your users will never purposefully run ActiveX and never yeah. never discount a partial solution. If you can audit those who haven't used ActiveX in the last year, we're going to disable ActiveX by default unless they get a complaint. I don't yeah. know, Jeff. I've got to be honest. I was talking with my aunt Karen just last week and he was just talking about you know yesterday i was playing around with ActiveX, john and boy was that fun um so no i i have no idea also with this particular article cyberworks did a great write-up of it but i love their impacts of the workaround did you guys actually read that in the article like uh, no so it, it, it's like the impacts of the workaround read like this this sets the url action download signed ActiveX and url action download unsigned ActiveX. X01004 to disable three for all internet zones for 64 and 32 bit processors. The new ActiveX controls will not be installed. Previously installed ActiveX controls will continue to run, which just for like somebody that's not in computer security, like I could just see them looking at that and be like, YOLO, I have no <laughs> idea what that actually means whatsoever. Is that what programming looks like? Is that, is coding? You know, it's like, uh, so if we do this, will it burn our entire environment to the ground? Who knows? Let's go this ahead and run This is worse. It. This is the Windows registry. Get, get, get scared now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. I think Microsoft still often has those warnings of, warning, if you change the registry, you may end up in an unsupportable scenario. Mm. <laughs> we may have to tell you just to wipe the machine entirely. Uh, which totally wouldn't happen. Ever. I mean, anyone who's ever talked to uh, Microsoft support can tell you that pretty much any scenario is an unsupportable scenario. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to say, Jonathan King just put one of the people in the audience said, fun fact, John aunt's, John's aunt Karen is also working on a project to recreate the original Homestar Runner flash site. There I we love go. Flash. I love Homestar Runner. So. <laughs> yeah, I saw a headline recently, it was related to 9-11, that a lot of the 9-11 footage or, or content has gone missing because of Flash. They were originally written in Flash, and I guess they didn't have backups or archive of anywhere, oh, and no. so those were gone. <laughs> I didn't really? read the article, but that's what I got out of the headline. I mean, there's so many ways to like fix that, though, and just convert them. I I mean, yeah, it might not be the best system. You probably shouldn't network it, but you could convert them relatively easily. I mean, so many things on the Homestar Runner on YouTube are now, someone did a screen capture while clicking. Right. <laughs> not 100% fidelity, but it still gets you Trogdor. Yeah, I had a I had a situation at one point where they asked me to fix the Flash issue. 
Yeah, I know. (laughs) No, so I had to build a special system, and uh, it it had a. There are ways to have a flash enabled system in 2021. So yeah, and Josh wants me to sing the Windows song. He got it wrong. Uh, The Windows song is F disk format reinstall. (laughs) Dude, install all the live long day. That was basically Uh, my uh, first IT job. Troubleshooting while we're at it. Uh, for small problems, reboot, and for big problems, reinstall. And that's it. You're now a Windows yeah. admin. I think, I think you we go. have a new shirt at this company. Uh, By the yeah, way, speaking I, of shirts, Jeff, what is that one? This is Sorry, the Jeff. Metasploit. I, I got made fun of for my shirt game last week, so I made sure to... This is the Metasploit Unicorn. There's the FreeBSD Daemon and the Linux Penguin all happily hanging out together. Yeah, that's wow. That's, you know what's what's funny about that shirt is furries see like people like us wearing that shirt and they go, "That guy's geeky." <laughs> um, <laughs> putting it in God's too far. I think Joshua's <laughs> current comment is the actual fix for most Windows issues, right there. But just yeah. deban install Linux and you yep. fixed it. Yeah. Active Directory done. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so the next one I want to talk about is rabbit holes. I don't know who put this one. The Ghost Script Zero Day allows full ser- server compromises. This one's from Nguyen the Duck. Uh, proof of concept code was released on GitHub. And so that's this where you is... release it. This is, yeah, that's where you release all <laughs> proof of concept code. So <laughs> the issue about this is Ghost Script, if we talk about it, I would say vast majority of our people that watch this show are like, well, what's Ghost Script and why do I care, right? Oh, um, so if you don't know, Ghost Script is a library that allows you to work with PDF documents. And while in and of itself, it's not that big of a deal, it's yet another example of a software package that is present in a lot of things. So there is desktop software that'll use Ghost Script, but there's also a lot of servers that actually process and work through PDFs uh, like just use an example of like a legal portal where you can upload documents, PDFs, and then you can have them rendered dynamically on the server. Ghost script is usually at the heart of those types of services as well. And I think for me, the, and I'd like to get everyone's take on this. This is one of those like exploits that is a pen tester that's going to give for a long time because it's not an issue of everyone's like, well, let's go through and update our ghost script. It's built into <laughs> other software And it requires the developers of that software to update their libraries, then their customers to update their software. So the lead time associated with that is just ridiculously long. But no, I'd love to get you all's thoughts on this. And like, you know, we see these vulnerabilities showing up more and more and more where software is dependent on other software and things just don't get patched as quickly as you think in those scenarios. I mean, oftentimes you have embedded versions of lots of attack surface, whether it's OpenSSL or GhostScript. Uh, I shared in the, the private chat a uh, great quote recently from Matt on this exact one. There are two types of engineers in this world, the ones who have sandboxed GhostScript and the ones who really ought to have sandboxed GhostScript. <laughs> Sounds about nice. right. Uh, between this and, yeah, prior OpenSSL, prior Bash, I mean, we're still going to see, what is it, uh, shell, shock, shell Shock and Heartbleed forever, right? These are forever days in practice because there are so many 
versions of, of that software embedded everywhere that we'll, we're still going to come across it. Well, some of these software stacks are just getting so complex that they they have so many other open source projects underneath them that are kind of like holding them up, right? And like the likelihood of one of those going south or finding a vulnerability is higher and higher. So like you said, it's just, you know, these, and the other thing about these projects too, is that sometimes they're like not well-maintained or, you know, some open source thing that's just kind of like, I don't know, making it off of donations, you know, at best. That's what always scared me. That one, of course. Uh, But the, uh, the open NTP guys actually like down the road from me in Ashland, (laughs) Oregon, but yeah. Just one, one guy, Harlan, the father of time. Uh, yeah, what happens? <laughs> what happens? They get married, they get a new job, something happens, then all of a sudden there's just like no outstanding support for that product anymore. Yep. Yeah. It's like I always NPM, like anytime I see anything like this, I always think of the movie Waterworld, which is a really weird thing. Like, you know, whenever you see this stuff, you go to Kevin Costner films, I guess. There's a scene in there where they have this huge tanker and they're pulling the fuel out and they're fueling their jet skis and stuff because Clearly, that's how <laughs> gasoline works. But there's a guy whose sole job is to sit down on a raft and like measure the depth of the fuel in the tanker. And towards the end of the movie, they throw a flare down in the tanker. The guy, the one guy that's basically holding this entire criminal enterprise up by himself, he's the fuel guy. He looks <laughs> up and he sees the flare coming down into the tank. And his last words are like, oh, thank God. like we're gonna find out that like the entire internet like so many of the things we use are like ran by like 10 dudes as you know xkcd says you know it's basically this random person in nebraska Um, (laughs) yeah so so (laughs) that's like the beauty of open source right so that's like that's where all of this came from and you have these other bigger companies who are like well where i reinvent this one thing i can just use the open source one it works great It, it does exactly what it's supposed to do and you know that again starts building this scaffolding for like an entire mm-hmm. application stack that has all kinds of open source tools that work on their own, but as a full complete stack, they don't necessarily cover like the security side of it, right? Um, and so here we are, and and they and they are more than happy to not give any credit until something no. goes wrong with that open source oh, project yeah. that yes. invalidates their product and makes their product insecure. In which case, they're like, oh, that's not our fault. That's we use this open source library. Yeah. that we don't really give this guy any credit for, but, you know. Isn't that exactly the access data problem when uh, Signal and access data got in a fight and uh, oh. the Signal team found that, hey, look, they use this crappy old embedded version of uh, media rendering. So we own, if you image this device, we own that device. Was, was that <laughs> access data or was it um, Celebrate? You're right. right. It was not right. Yeah, yeah. this is the one where the phone fell out of the back of the truck, you know, (laughs) in the fucking neighborhood. (laughs) And and I got to say, if your software and your hardware falls out of the back of a truck in Moxie's neighborhood, that's just bad. (laughs) Yeah. It's God's way of saying. How did that happen? That's really, it's really. It happened by a truly unbelievable coincidence. Exactly. Miracle. (laughs) It's a miracle. It's a security miracle. So uh, Jonathan King brings up a great point. He says, this is where software bill of materials becomes very valuable for an executive to call out. I think that that's a good idea, but what is, what is the practicality of that? <laughs> Most of these companies that have the vulnerabilities in their softwares, third-party libraries that are open source that they're using and they're not paying for, 
I, I honestly don't think that many of the companies know all the third-party software that they may be using. Some developers might, but if you look at a large-scale development shop, usually what you're doing is you have a whole bunch of developers pulling in all kinds of garbage from multiple different places. I think it's really difficult for large-scale development projects to actually truly understand all of their open source or free or... I don't know, Stack Overflow, random code snippets. Yeah, that's um, where I was going to put my next malware on Stack Overflow. It's going to spread like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it just has to solve some function you need to get working. Your know. DNS so think, isn't working, this will fix it. Just put this <laughs> in. So I think that Jonathan's absolutely right, but what's the likelihood that we'll actually get to the point where we could have that bill of materials for these software packages that we're using? Because personally, right now, I don't think it's all that likely. I mean, I think that if, if someone if someone forced them to do it, sure, they would do it, but they would add it right next to their like third party licensing agreements and they would fill it full of legal jargon so that it made absolutely no sense. Similar to that uh, registry line that we saw in that other article yeah. so that nobody wants to read it. So it's there because they're not required to talk about it, but they've made it so you definitely don't want to sit there and read it. You don't want to reliably predict that companies will do just enough to not get sued by the federal government if that's what it takes. Uh, but you're not going to get all companies to get a good software bill of materials in any reasonable time frame in practice at all. So how do you align incentives? How do you have proper disincentives to move people in the right direction over time? I don't hold out a lot of hope for SBOM. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Uh, Jonathan has a follow-up. Volume of, of unknown built-in dependencies in existing software that's less likely importance is, is in accurately capturing it going forward. And I think it's one of those things where you got to start somewhere, right? And if a handful of companies start requiring it, maybe that'll be a seed channel start moving forward as well. Uh, so that's, that's fun. Um, who came up with the Jenkins project attack through Atlassian Confluence vulnerability? Was that one from Discord, maybe? Yeah, I think yeah, that most one was from Discord. from Discord. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, For those who don't know, we have a group of people who constantly provide us with articles every week uh, in our Discord channel. So if you have some stuff you'd like to share, definitely drop it in there and we might talk about it. I can talk about the uh, HA proxy vulnerability. Uh, This is kind of interesting vulnerability. So uh, JFrog wrote the article on this. Uh, They also make the, um, they also have like a large uh, artifactory and a couple other products. Anyways, so the uh, the CVE, pretty much what it is, it, there is a vulnerability in HA proxy. For everyone who doesn't know, HA proxy is a HTTP proxy, uh, very common across the internet. HA proxy, Nginx, and a couple other ones are pretty common on the internet. And what this allows you to do is allows you to smuggle HTTP request inside or through HA proxy. So how this works and how would this be useful? So HA proxy can do a lot of things, right? Like proxying web traffic to another host uh, on your internal, right? So this would be on the external. And let's say you do host uh, routing via host name, for example. Well, you can also do some other things too. You can put some other kind of conditional access controls. I don't know. One of those might be that you say only these IP addresses are allowed to access this web interface, right? So it checks to see what the um, IP address is or whatever it may be. So what this allows you to do is actually smuggle the request, right? The request that you want to make it to the other end through HA proxy, bypassing any of those conditional access controls that may be in place, right? So that you can make that request that traditionally would get blocked to a landing onto that target. 
Um, and the way it works, in essence, is that they change the content length header. And what you're doing is the content the content content length header is looking for the request body size, right? And what's going to be sent to the back end. And you can modify this if there's not correct checks into the values and the differences, then they actually put the data, right? The request that they want to send to the backend server inside the body of that request so that the checks aren't getting made, makes it to the backend server. And now you're, you know, bingo, bango, I can talk to a server I shouldn't be able to, right? Or make an HTTP request I shouldn't be able to. Um, so yeah, pretty cool. And there's a, you know, bypassing ACLs would be probably the most common one, especially over something like this. Uh, one would be the IP. Another one would be like, uh, if you're using a, what do you call it? a URI that has like forward slash admin and you say only certain devices are allowed to access this or they require a certain header, maybe a authentication header, you could bypass that. So um, pretty cool stuff. So this one's fascinating to me because uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean on Jeff for this one is how many times have we seen vulnerabilities where you have the content size and something comes back that's not the appropriate size and it basically causes bad things to happen. So you look at ping of death as a good example. You know, an ICMP should only be, what is it, 65,536 bytes. But you can go over that, and all of a sudden the system's like, F it, I'm just shutting down. Um, <laughs> almost every single buffer overflow dealing with bounds, you have Heartbleed um, is another example of it. I thought there was another vulnerability recently um, that you could like kind of scan systems. But what came to mind off? What's what that? came to mind offhand for me was uh, different intrusion detection systems uh, doing packet recreation of uh, packet fragmentation. Oh, so, yeah, the don't fragment, more fragment, and then the offset's not lining up right. Yeah, so. and different operating systems interpret that differently, and which way does the IDS interpret it? They, they take one stab in the dark, and if it's not the same way as the endpoint, then you can get a different viewpoint from the IDS perspective than actually makes it to the, the real endpoint. There's or, all sorts of examples of this, yeah. Absolutely. Or the, the Judy Novak one where you have a reset packet with an invalid TCP checksum and the firewall basically says, okay, that's the end of the stream and flushes its buffer where the endpoint actually then processes it. So we see this again and again. And what's cool is this is, this is an example of a very, very, very basic level vulnerability that developers should be dealing with, right? Like whenever you're a developer in diapers, right? And they pop the pacifier out of your mouth. The first thing that they teach you is always validate your size and content of your input, always. And we see how like in these obscure ways, I think Heartbleed is a great example of basically saying, I want you to basically respond back with three characters and you would say dog and it would respond back with three characters as far as a heartbeat notification, where you can basically say, I want you to respond back with 450,000 bytes and respond back with dog. And it's like, dog, 400,000 bytes, dog. Or, oh, I'm just gonna go grab random memory and I'm just gonna dump it to your system. Etherleak is another example where net cards with, uh, NIC cards with the malformed ICMP packet would just dump random memory as well. So this is an example of like a class of vulnerability Somebody had mentioned forever days. I think that this definitely qualifies where you have any type of expected data size that's coming in. You need to have validation of that data size or really unexpected, strange, horrible things happen in the process. So, Jeff, do you have any other ones? Like if we're going through this, we have. Uh, yeah, it was tangential, but uh, I'm uh, sharing a private note. Uh, Moxie Marlin Spike uh, refers to it as the cryptographic doom principle, a somewhat tangential, but uh, pretty darn related uh, if you 
do anything before you verify that a message is correct, doom will happen. <laughs> so, very similar. Uh, make sure that the requested space is the same as the allocated space before you take any operation on it. And once again, this is totally not something brand new. This is something that we've been literally talking about since the 90s. So whenever people are like, well, buffer overflows are going to be fixed, that may be true, but this type of problem is going to manifest itself again and again and again. Every time some hysterass developer divides, decides that they want to create some new coding language from scratch. Yeah. And in this particular case, too, they're taking that vulnerability and applying it to, you know, a lot, a lot of attack surface, actually. Right. And public attack surface, as opposed to, you know, compromising, let's say, an application that's running on a on a system. Right. Um, for like some kind of privilege escalation. So um, kind of interesting. I, I always love when I see this. I always think of uh, all the times that people have told me where I've come up with some crazy idea and then they'll be like, but but who would do that? Like, why would you, why would you do that? I'm like, that's literally the entire cybersecurity profession at this point. We just yes. do things that nobody would do. Like, well, models. Yeah. Did, so, oh, wait. So you're saying that this is how it works. And they're like, yeah, that's how it works. But have you tested it? Well, well, no. I mean, because nobody would ever do it like that. It, why, oh, why would you, okay. Oh. All right. All right. Let's like try this, that then. This website <laughs> is for uploading pictures. Why would you ever lo upload like an yes. ASPX document to it? That doesn't make <laughs> yes. sense. I don't need to check for that because everyone who is here is just going to upload pictures. Everyone knows how this works. Nobody would ever not send a photo. Why? I mean, I feel like every web app pen tester who sees a file upload field is like, okay, I will be able to upload uh, PHP to this PHP site. I will be able to local file include. This is inevitable, right? This is the, the PHP doom principle. If you use your own PHP, you will screw up and it will result in code execution. I, I, I think it's funny. This reminds me of Mick Douglas, and I don't remember the exact like phrasing of the story, but it was something very similar where he was working for a company, and uh, I think it was like an li online library system, and like the file upload vulnerability was discussed and he's going through, it's like, well, someone could do this and they could do this and they could do this. And they solved the problem by stopping inviting Mick to any of the different design meetings. And they're like, well, that guy's just very morbid and he's just evil. Yeah. So we're not going to invite him. And like so, X years after he left, he basically found out that he got hacked to the exact vulnerability that he was talking about. I, and the little blinky bar is back, isn't it? It's back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah. guess... Only 8% of the orgs with web apps for file uploads have adequate cybersecurity, actually. What percent? Um, Did you pull that eight, out of your ass? No, I just pulled it from our next article. Oh, no. <laughs> I can't make this up. It's real. <laughs> well, the transitions are easy this week, wow. anyhow. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah. Only 8% of organizations with web apps for file uploads have adequate cybersecurity. Why do you guys think that is? Huh. File up, <laughs> handling file uploads is hard. Yes, yes. I, I think uh, it, I think that that's done in one. I, I think I think it's one of those things that's really, really it, it's easy until you try to do it. It's almost like whenever people talk about regular expressions in email, they're like, "Well, how hard can that be?" And then they get into it, and their regular expression is like twenty three lines long of dense regex. I think this is similar. As soon as you start talking about file uploads you start talking about really, really intense analysis of what you're uploading. Are you validating it? Just something as simple as uploading images. I remember years ago, we had a, a web app pen test where you could upload an image. And in the description of that image, you could put a cross-site scripting attack. 
So anytime someone viewed that image, it fired the cross-site scripting attack and stole their session, regardless of where they were at. That's, that's stupid crap that whenever you're developing your web server, you don't even know about the vulnerabilities that are going to come out. And then we add that into what we were talking about. We were talking about like PDFs and there's some kind of third-party library. It just becomes magic that somebody else has created and you're implementing it on your server and shit, yeah. you don't know what it's actually if, going If you to have do. like a, a website that you upload PDFs or Word documents to or something like that, like it becomes infinitely more harder. But even if you're just looking at things as simple as like, hey, this is a picture website. It's only for uploading pictures. Your server still has to run libraries against that. So mm-hmm. if those libraries have issues in them, yeah, you can just exploit the library because if, if you know what one it's running. Um, but even if let's like set that aside for a second. It's still hard, even if you were to say, hey, I only want to verify that people are uploading JPEGs to this site. Okay, so what are you going to do? You're going to look at the file extension? Okay, so it's got a .jpeg, but that doesn't prevent it from it's .jpeg.exe. Okay, so let's check the magic bytes. Well, you can adjust the magic bytes. It doesn't matter. Like, it, it, it's really just hard to do at even the base level. And then you start looking at external libraries and everything else, and it's it's tough. It's tough. And what I also hate about it, though, is that exact same thing. As soon as a vulnerability is discovered, in hindsight, it always looks like it was an incredibly stupid vulnerability that any junior developer should have picked up. And I don't think that that's necessarily true. So, you know, porn went out for the homies in the development community. Like, their crap is really hard. And to try to do it right is far more difficult than I think most people do. Yeah, it's like virus companies coming up with signature detections for everything and just be like, oh, yeah, we caught everything now or whatever, right? Like just this idea that you're going to be able to catch it, catch everything. It's not going to happen. Uh, on screen right now, by the way, every time someone mentions regular expressions and parsing complicated languages, John mentioned email before. I had to have uh, this Stack Overflow answer about parsing XHTML with regex. Scroll down a bit if you would, Ryan, because <laughs> it starts to... Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. My face, my face. Oh no, the ponies. Um, <laughs> you have have you tried using an XML parser? You now have two problems. No. I, I love down at the bottom. Moderator's note This post is locked to prevent inappropriate edits to its content. This post looks exactly as it's supposed to look. There are no problems with this content. <laughs> not like it for our attention. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. I'm going to save that one for later. Yeah, hang on to that. What's another story we got? We already went and talked about the Fortinet one, actually. Uh, oh, you 50, did already? 000. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> all right, sure. Well, I, I'm pretty sure we talked about it last time, didn't we? Uh, oh, no, no, this is... Um, yeah, this is the password one. I can talk about this one real quick. We didn't actually talk about this last time. Sorry. Hackers League 5... 100,000 Fortinet VPN account passwords, right? So um, this is uh, a dump that has been out for a little while, but wasn't out publicly, I guess. And just a bunch of username credential combinations for VPN, uh, for Fortinet VPNs. Um, So a lot of different options in there. I think we have a copy of it and it's a monster of data. So... I wonder if Fortinet can pull the trick where they're like, no, it's okay. These user IDs and passwords are already dumped in previous breaches. So we're good. <laughs> oh, there's associated IP addresses too. Ouch. Yeah. 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 That's 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 where it like that's where like the gold comes from this, right? It's not just like, hey, here's like some yeah. ideas for yeah. good passwords, right? It's like hey, here's some Yeah. Here here's some uh here's some actual places that could probably still be. I don't know. 
So, That's rough. Uh, how did they get think, it? Did they? Um, how did they get the uh, passwords? Did they put that in the article? Yeah, it was a prior Fortinet vulnerability that allowed you to retrieve configurations. So even though people have patched, spoilers, shocker, not everybody had rotated credentials for every account yeah. as well. Oh no! Oh no! The gift that keeps on giving to attackers. I think that's kind of the theme for this episode is just the gifts of hacking that keep on giving. Yeah, moral of the story, get rid of your VPN. They're no well, good anymore. <laughs> yeah, and there's they, the reason they patched and didn't reset their passwords is because, you know, Nessus is no longer telling them that there's a vulnerability in oh, their network. Oh, no. Don't even <laughs> get me started on that. I was dealing – so today at the business meeting, I was kind of going off on – you know, really putting a lot of detail in our reports as far as like what worked, what didn't, doing screenshots, doing all those different things. And I, I think the other thing that came up while we were talking about that was basically Nessus configurations. And uh, one of the problems with Nessus configurations is you have a lot of testers and security engineers that want to go through and mess with their configurations to create custom scan profiles. And that's a big, huge no-no. Like, if you're doing independent testing, you should not be mucking with your scan profiles at all for a couple of reasons. One of them is, you know, if something goes wrong with your scan and you use a default scan profile, it's very easy for you to say, well, that's just what Tenable or Qualys did or Rapid7. If you're in there mucking it around, then it very well can become something that kind of blows back on you. So when you add, like, this type of thing on top of it, Let's say that you're a pen testing firm and you create a custom scanning profile and for whatever reason it didn't catch this vulnerability, then all of a sudden it becomes a valid question that customer can ask is, well, if you're mucking with the scan profile, then this is probably your fault that you missed this particular vulnerability. Um, does that make sense to everybody? Yeah, I guess I was more taking it from the point of view of, Okay, so you, you let's say you're a, a security engineer or whatever. Nessus pulls up. You check Nessus for the for the week, and it's like, oh, hey, you have a vulnerability in your Fortinet system. So you patch the Fortinet system, and then you go. Oh, but then the previous issue is still there. You never fixed it. But you never uh, fixed the fact that the passwords are all over the place now, and that you didn't yes. reset those passwords. But you patched it. But that is in some companies like the define that is like the bite. Oh yeah, because they don't take the time to look in what the vulnerability was and then maybe even do some response. Like go check the logs or anything. I mean, everyone's got a different maturity levels, so who knows right. where they're at, right? But yeah. Like you could be really affected by this in a in a strong way, and in this case, um, but you didn't check the logs, you just did the patch, you're like, Oh, we're good now. All right, sweet. Yeah. yeah. Well, so it, what I'm really it'll... trying to say is one security engineer in Nessus is not enough to count as your security program. <laughs> that's 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 a good no point. no uh you have you have your nessus and you have your wsus and between the two you're patching and scanning so you're pretty much good to go uh yeah, yeah, notes uh good friend ron yeah. bose many of you know him i uh, was talking about a different company which i shall be nice and remain unnamed where all the remediations done by this third-party scanning is not done by rescanning they just no longer scan that one profile for you no. if you convince them that uh, you 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 patch the bug or it's a false positive. They say, "Okay, we'll never use that plugin to scan for you ever again." Nice. Oh, That's no security I, through idiocracy. Perfect. What's the I, I, yeah? What's the exact opposite of artificial intelligence? That. There you go. <laughs> so uh artificial intelligence won't save us from manual stupidity it just won't uh um, yeah it's, it's every time fact that's a 
That's a quote. We do have some good news. So many t-shirt ideas. Yeah, I know. What was the good news, though? We got good news? Uh, yeah, no, Re-Evil's Re back. Their servers came back good. online. Yeah, yeah. so um, they're, they're coming back, uh, opening back up shop. I think they took a holiday, vacation, break. I don't know what they were doing. Re-Evil? Uh, they had too just much money to a while to spend it all. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> they're, they're on. back online, and uh, their decoder that re is actually still offline. So, um, yeah, they're getting ready to, uh, you know, go find their new uh, victims. So they set up a new data center on the yacht that they bought, yeah. and you know, yeah, yeah, Reevil, we we missed you guys. Yeah, <laughs> you know, all things being equal, like we just wouldn't be us without you because <laughs> this webcast or this podcast seriously would probably not have half the content that we do if it wasn't for ransomware. So mm. it's a real Thanks. industry. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, just giving us news articles every day. I mean, it's wild because most of the time when some, like, threat actor goes away or, or comes back, you're like, oh, whatever, who cares? But, you know, it's gotten so big now that we have to actually talk about when they leave or go, you know. Are we looking at this like bands? It's like, yeah. it's like oh, the Beatles broke up. Oh, now they're back together again, right? It's, it's like a lot of these ransomware gangs are like Motley Crue. It's like, this is our last show ever. Two months later, we <laughs> needs a new house. I, I, was thinking, I was thinking almost more like uh, Twitter, and I'm just as guilty of this as any, but you, you see people on Twitter like, I'm leaving Twitter. I'm deleting the app, you know? And then like three days later, you can see the posting, and you're like, I guess you didn't leave for that long, you know? Uh, well, the people that actually do it for like six months, and they come back and like, how am I following you? Oh, yeah, yeah that's right. I, I still have it off my phone. You can see whenever I get back to work on my computer because I'll start tweeting and then I'm like, oh, yeah. this sucks. And then I'll close it. But, <laughs> I think of them as kind of like uh, hurricanes or something. They just come in like Cat 5, destroy stuff and then go away. But then they come back. It's like the same name. Like instead of getting a new name, they just come back yeah. with the same name over and over again. <laughs> it's you know? like it curves all the way around yeah. and yeah. hits you again. It's it again. Sweet, man. That storm just got back going again. And you're like, well, we didn't have enough time to prepare. I was like, yeah, I mean, like they're calling it out for like a month, man. The weather pattern. It said, you know, you guys were in the path. You're like, no, no, I'm staying. I'm staying. <laughs> Fake news. Like you know. live, that live in like those hurricane areas that never bother to like waterproof their house or do anything. It's like the roof blew off again. How the hell does this keep happening? And it flooded again. Like it's just mm. okay. Thanks, FEMA. Thanks, FEMA. It's the insurance checks. They just keep coming. Man. They That's keep the coming and I keep building. They're never going to slow me down. <laughs> Meanwhile, John's is like, watch this. I'm going to wrap my house in plastic. <laughs> so, it's funny there was an article completely unrelated to anything we do where for the fires out in california they have like actually this industrial tinfoil that they wrap <laughs> houses in nice uh, to, to protect them from fires now wouldn't that is, like turn it into an oven though yeah shake and bake baby shake and yeah. bake yeah, the, the issue isn't usually uh, the ambient temperature so much as little pieces of embers hot ash embers falling sure, on the sure. wooden roof or uh, plastic yeah. siding i suppose it still doesn't help you if like a flaming tree falls on your house, but you know. No, flaming trees are hard to deal with. Uh, they, that's a hard threat model to keep up. I. Or they call it defensible space. Just take everything away from your house for 150 feet, and you'll be okay. And you can avoid acts of God. Well, yeah. maybe. You have uh, but then there's cool. earthquakes. So. Oh, see, we don't have those here. We're volcanoes. That. That's, that's awesome. Sinkholes. We sinkholes. sinkholes. Yeah. I, 
why yeah yeah and uh, never mind <laughs> cool all right well, I don't know, every so often up. someone will say something about sinkholes like they're like there's something you see a lot <laughs> that's because they're awesome pictures like your brain yeah. can't get around it like i, I just get, i just i get this like the whole like stop drop and roll thing like growing up as a kid i was i was taught um to be prepared for being lit on fire a lot more than i find myself as an adult that's not my quote <laughs> like i stole that from somewhere but not as applicable in your day-to-day life as you were trained to believe yeah, Some like it's us, just not as much of a thing that happens as you were made to think. Yeah, it's weird. And some of us on this webcast and some of the people that are listening uh, remember the days of Duck and Cover where in the 80s, they would teach us all the time. It's like, okay, when a nuke happens, everybody, <laughs> everyone get underneath your desk and then you'd start asking questions. Um, you'd basically be like, so quick question. What is this protecting us against? Because mm. I saw a video and it doesn't look like yeah. it's done. <laughs> no, yeah. this is uh, you go under the desk and kiss your ass goodbye. That's actually what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, it's like, oh, no, no, it keeps the bodies well placed. So, you know, they can find it faster. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's horrible. Yes. That's horrible. Quick sand. <laughs> Quick sand on a weekly basis. All right, Ryan, take us out. We're spinning yeah. out of control at this point. We're losing this plane. It's going to crash. Yeah, we're losing the plot, Ryan. 